0: Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Film and Nepotism podcast, a show about movies. In contrast, I'm your host Jared Presswich and, whew, Brody Cutler, hello, you're my co-host. Hi Jared. how you doing? I'm good. I'm sorry, I'm just a bit frazzled. Like, I know this show isn't called Weather and Nepotism, but, oh man, it is hot in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia right now.
1: It is a scorcher outside, it's apparently only going to get worse, and uh, unfortunately, Jared, in the outside weather we're no good, but in this air-conditioned studio we're really in our element.
0: Yeah, well, anyway, let's talk about what the show actually is about. This is the podcast where we review every episode of The Simpsons, isn't it?
1: No, actually, of course not. This is the Film and Nepotism podcast, a show where we contrast and compare movies that we've never seen before. We want to talk about the differences and, and how they work together, how they work as separate entities, and what really makes these movies tick from a from a film fan
0: perspective. Yes, but before we get into our double feature, as always, we we have two New release movies to review. I have seen both of them. You have seen only one, you lazy bugger you.
1: Yeah, well, I did go and see one last night at your request, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about the movie that you've seen and I haven't seen, and that is First Man. Jared, what did you think of First Man starring Ryan Gosling?
0: It's about Neil Armstrong and the lead-up to his Apollo 11 mission, where he was the first man to go on the moon, and plus it mixes some family drama in there. It's directed by Damien Chazelle, who did La La Land and Whiplash, two movies that I really enjoy you know, Oscar movies, and so is this one. I don't think it's going to win any Oscars, though. I think it's a perfectly solid, well-crafted biopic, but it didn't quite grab me.
1: What specifically about this movie do you enjoy?
0: Well, the music was really good. Um, okay. You should, should, expe- be yeah, you should be expected. Yeah, you should expect that from the director. Um, the performance of Claire Foy, who plays Neil Armstrong's wife, what's her name, Janet, um, I thought she was really good. The cast overall was... Very good. There's Kyle Chandler in there. There's Jason Clark, Ryan Gosling, um, Kieran Hines. Yeah, they're all really good, but I feel like they were let down by the script, I think. Yeah, I can see a lot of people liking this movie, and I can see a lot of people just thinking it was really boring, and I I wouldn't really argue with either point. So, yeah.
1: Okay, you think it sort
0: of finds itself in the middle of a good movie and a boring movie? Just didn't really spend enough time on the things that I personally wanted to see. Like, I wanted to actually see what work went into getting to the moon. In 1969. Yep. Yeah, we didn't get that. And like I said, there's a bunch of good actors like Carl Chandler. I didn't. I don't really know who he is. I don't know his name. I don't really know what he does. I assumed he's like a higher up. But what does he actually do? Like, mm. what do you do, Mr. Chandler? Where is he in the NASA scheme of things? Yeah, I just know that he's a higher up, and it just didn't. You know, it just didn't um, get into the world. I know they're trying to go into Neil Armstrong's personal life and stuff, but I didn't really care all that much about him. I, I assume he's like a, a Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goslingy type. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> Ryan Gosling did a good job in the role, but yeah, it was just good. I wouldn't recommend. Well, I, I guess you you can go in and see it, and you I don't think you'll be disappointed. But maybe just wait until the lead up to the Oscars and watch it on DVD or buy it on iTunes or something in the lead up to the Oscars because it'll definitely be there. But like I said, no wins.
1: Okay. All right. Well, Jared, I only have one question about this movie. Does this movie definitively prove that the moon landing was real? No. Alright, moving on. We're going to talk about Bad Times. Now, I keep saying Fast Times at the El Royale. It's not the actual title of the movie. It is Bad Times at the
0: El Royale. Jared, uh, I went to see this last night. You went to see it uh, last week.
1: What Mm -hmm. did you think of this
0: movie? I think it was a really good, hateful-late clone, not directed by Quentin Tarantino.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've I've got written down here that it's a a tarantino light movie. Uh, The reason that these kind of movies work generally, these mystery, multiple strangers coming together
0: movies is the dialogue, and it's a little bit lacking in this movie for me, but there are some redeemable and fun qualities. With the Hateful Eight comparison, we can't give it too much crap because Quentin Tarantino's been stealing movies from people for years, for his whole <laughs> career, but it definitely does go in a different direction by the end of the third act, specifically with Chris Hemsworth's character. He's used a lot in the, in the promotional material, but he isn't in it that much, but when he is, he's pretty, pretty good and effective, so what do you think about it?
1: Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I didn't watch the trailer before seeing this movie. In fact, the, the trailer for this movie only came out a month ago and it's only just come out last week. So there was very little lead up or build up to this movie, which may be in its benefit, actually, because you, you do see a lot of Chris Hemsworth in the third act and he is probably the best part of the movie.
0: Yeah, it had a really good cast. It was John Hamm and Jeff Bridges and some unknowns there, uh, Dakota Johnson. I thought they all did well in the roles, but it just didn't. It's just not as as sharp as it should be, I don't think. I think there was a lot that could have been cut. You know, there's a bunch of scenes, it's just like, how did they get to the party? Or the hotel? And I don't think we needed them for all of the characters.
1: Yeah, there's probably three or four too many flashbacks, and that's pretty much what the whole first and second act are of this movie. You go back and forth between the characters, and it doesn't do the movie any favours, because it builds up, and then it starts again. And then it builds up, and then it starts again. And you really miss some of the critical tension that the movie is trying to
0: build in the first place when you're just flashing back and forth and you lose all interest in a character for half an hour. And it's a mystery that isn't 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 one where you're like, Oh, I wanna know what happens and then it shows you what happens and you're like, I don't really care that this character was watching through a window at that point. You know? Yeah, I- or there's a door here that wasn't there before, you didn't see it, or this character is tied up. Well, that's, that's interesting stuff. That actually moves the plot forward, but flashing back to someone looking, peeking through the window being like, oh, oh,
1: oh. I you guess know. I saw that as well.
0: Yeah, that's fine.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you want to say anything else? Well, yeah, that, no, that's pretty much it for me on on bad times at the El Royale. So let's move on to our main topic today, Jared, and that's coming-of-age movies. And boy, do we have some doozies.
0: So many to pick from over the years. Coming-of-age is a very strong genre of film. I think there's so many that you could have picked, but I feel like, like you said, we picked two doozies. So let's just get right into boyhood. Directed by Richard Linklater.
1: Who do you want to be, Mason? What do you want to do?
0: So Boyhood came out in 2014. It stars Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke as two parents of a child named Mason, who grows up for 12 years, and they guess what, Bodie? They filmed it through the whole thing. So you literally watch this guy come of age.
1: This is the coming-of-age-iest coming-of-age movie of all time.
0: Well, it's the perfect film to review for this category, right? Absolutely. So, so anyway, the film, like we said, was filmed over 12 years from about 2001-ish to 2013. And yeah, it starts from when he was six until he go, finishes high school and goes off to college. Man, this is one of my favorite movies ever. And it's hard to say with one that comes out so recently when you're comparing it to all these others. But yeah, I can say that. What did you think? You, you saw it for the first time.
1: I did see it for the first time and um, I sent you a message after I saw it and I said thank you for making me watch this because it, it may very well be one of my favorite movies ever. This is just such a brilliant movie.
0: Yeah, it's a generational story. I think. And I think it helps that the main character was born the same year as us. And I'd be curious to see whether people in the past generations and the people in future generations will take to this movie as much. But I feel like it has some universal themes as well. But, you know, the main character having Dragon Ball Z bedsheets does help. With me um, getting on his side. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And
1: uh, Motorola flip phones and Harry Potter book launches. There are just so many things in here that, that scream our childhood growing up.
0: So, a couple of days every year, the crew came back to shoot some little short films, basically, like they did a short film every year, and every little vignette works as a separate slice of life, and it doesn't really show what you would expect for a movie about somebody growing up, like the first kiss, and maybe a tragic accident and stuff, it's, no, it's just little little slices of life, and I it's very different, and I appreciate it a lot, and yeah, I uh, I'm going to try not to gush too much. You can do the gushing for me because you've only just seen it. So, yeah. (laughs) All right, I guess it is my turn to gush
1: then. And um, we really haven't got a great metric for other movies that are shot like this because nobody really does this. You know, there's only been a couple ever that that shoot like this before. But it feels absolutely great to watch um, this sort of style. And you're totally invested in the story because of it, especially for someone our age. I don't think it's um, very gimmicky. At all, to be honest with you.
0: As usual, there's some reviews that come out that are like, oh, it's just a gimmick. It wouldn't be good if it wasn't. But the writing is great. I don't know how it didn't win an Oscar for, <laughs> <laughs> for Best Writing. I don't know what won that year. It was also a crime that it didn't win Best Picture. I, well, I like Birdman. Bird went, Birdman won that year. But still, man, uh, <laughs> which, which movie are people going to re- remember? Birdman or this? Yeah, this is
1: definitely a memorable movie. You see characters make mistakes and grow up in real time. Uh, you can see that they have thoughts in cohesive ways and they remember things from the movie that came up on screen maybe only 20 minutes or half an hour ago and it feels genuine it feels like you really are just watching the evolution of this boy's personality
0: yeah the first hour is you know when he's a little kid and it's it seems pretty steady like yeah that's fair enough but there's one bit where he like he puts the obama sign down and it pans up and he looks so much older and you're like whoa holy crap that is time and you don't get that from other movies you can't. You can't. Like you can't. Like you said, it's wholly original in its in its making. And man, it, you hear stories about nightmare sets for one movie that shoots for a couple months. So much could have gone wrong yeah. over twelve years. You know, the parents of the child, the child could have been like, no, nah, no more." But yeah, we're, done. we're done with this now. Actually, it could have had a death. Like the director could have died. Literally,
1: anyone on this movie could have died, and it would have changed everything.
0: I think the only thing that was a little snag in the road was um, the daughter, the sister of our main character is played by the director's daughter, and I think she just got over it because she <laughs> she was, what, eight when she des- decided to do it and, you know, obviously she's growing up and she's much like her character in the movie, she's pretty aloof and doesn't really care. Yeah, so, and yeah.
1: I think that's quite a good representation of her character because we see her and their parents and all the characters in this movie go through changes and it makes sense. She's not particularly in very much of the last 45 minutes of the movie, mind you, when she goes off to college. We get back on track to, to focusing on Mason, especially in his formative years, sort of 14 to 18.
0: Yeah, that's where maybe about an hour and a half of the movie is set, maybe more than that. And like we said, just little slices of life. And it's so relatable. I just When I was watching the movie, I'm like, oh, they made a movie about me.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah, I feel the exact same. And we, we've talked about this a lot. Um, you and I are off pod. Already off, off pod, <laughs> off pod. Yeah, about how resonant this movie is, and I, I want to get more into that before we uh before we can keep going in the movie. Um,
0: yeah, let's talk about the let's talk about the cast first. Patricia Arquette, I feel like she's the rock of this movie. She is, yeah, she's brilliant. Ethan Hawke, like like his character in the movie, he floats in and out of the story. He's he's really great in it as well. He he deserved that Oscar nomination, but Patricia Arquette, oh my god, <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is a, there's just so many crushing. She- Beautiful scenes
0: with Patricia Arquette. Yeah, she movie. she is everybody's mother.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it makes sense because every everybody our age is gonna have gone through the same things when they were kids: staying out late, getting home early, fighting with their parents, not wanting to do what people at school or your mum wants you to do. And
0: she's just doing her damn best. She just gets shit on the whole movie too, like whether it's drunk husbands or you know she's poor. Yeah, She goes through three horrible marriages. Yeah, and the final scene... Um, <laughs> yeah, you forgot to say, Bodie that we do spoilers in this, right? Did you say spoilers? No,
1: we didn't say spoilers, <laughs> but by the way, guys, we haven't seen Boyhood yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, you should probably go see it. Um, yeah, I, we recommend it. Yeah, the last, the last scene where Mason, our main character, is going off to college, um, it's so depressing, but <laughs> I feel like her story isn't over yet. The story is about Mason Jr. played by Ella Coltrane, like I said... Our age, 1994, born the same year as us. And thank God, talk about things that go right. Thank God he grew up to be a Richard Linklater character. Yeah. <laughs> how, how lucky is that?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. it does help when you grow up with uh, the long hair. and the, Very aloof, and like the aloof. spouts yeah. some
0: profound monologues. Um, uh,
1: one of my favourite parts of this movie is when Mason pr- uh, spouts monologues, I think. I think there's a scene where he's driving in his truck with his girlfriend and he's just talking about wanting to get off Facebook and wanting to experience life because he he just feels like nobody does that anymore and i'm sure that people who are listening can relate to feeling like that sometimes that you just sort of feel
0: very different to everybody else he can seem a little bit unlikable but i think that's by design it's just kids they this is a this is a movie about moments right moments that shape you but when you're in that especially when you're a young impressionable kid like that you don't really stop around and smell the flowers as you might say. So he, for example, he goes to his graduation of from high school and everyone from the previous uh, vignettes are in there to celebrate him and he's like, eh, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't really want to be here, he sort of says. <laughs> yeah, and it's so realistic and it's what I went through as well. Like, you look back and you're like, oh crap, probably should have <laughs> paid more attention and like we said with the final scene with P- Patricia Arquette where he doesn't want to take his, the first photo he ever took with him. He's leaving it behind and he's leaving behind his mother and she breaks down and <laughs> it's super, super sad and super sad to me too because, like I said, she's everybody's mother. She, she does is. a great job.
1: It's a powerful scene because she spent her whole life of the movie running with her kids to make sure that they're safe from everything that could possibly go wrong to them. She leaves in the beginning because she needs to go back to school. She leaves again after her second husband becomes abusive and the kids don't really ever thank her for anything that she does and it really just makes you want to hug your mum because you, you 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 feel like that sometimes at our age you know you feel like you don't appreciate stuff that you're supposed to appreciate enough
0: yeah i know you um identified with the father relationship as well you want to you want to <laughs> yeah, go absolutely. into that they getting too personal well, i don't, <laughs> well, don't want to
1: throw my dad under the bus here but the ethan hawke character is is very much like my father in a lot of ways um for for people our age, there's gonna be a lot of us that that's parents aren't together anymore, so you, you only see one parent much less often. And um I think they do a really good job. And the the writing in this movie, especially towards the relationship between kids and parents, I think is brilliantly done. And I think it's done so well because of the way that they filmed it. They filmed this movie over so many years that you're able to see how people change in talking to their kids when they get older and, and as they're getting older. Even when Mason starts as a six-year-old, how they're talking to him when he's ten or twelve years old is totally different because they're in totally different places. And
0: yeah, there's that scene where he asks Ethan Hawke whether magic is real. Um, yeah, on the couches at yeah. uh, his dad's place. Yeah, and that kind of stuff. You would think, ah, put that on the cutting room floor, but you can tell that it has kind of shaped him later as well. So it's yeah. just, just I just really love these little moments because I identify with pretty much every single vignette
1: yeah absolutely. Every year every single every single year of age that Mason is there's there's reasons to identify with him.
0: maybe we we watched it at the right time. I remember when I watched this first movie, I just went through a breakup as well, and I was thinking exactly <laughs> exactly the same as um, Mason does when he's talking to his dad is trying to get advice, and that and that resonated with me as well. Um, that was one of my favorite scenes. The final scenes with his both of his parents were super powerful. Did you say that you cried six times?
1: Yeah, six times during this movie. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I mean, it's such a powerful movie. There's a great scene in this movie, too, where Mason's talking to his dad when he's 15. And Mason says, don't you remember you told me when I was eight years old I was in the back of the car, my friend was here, and you said that car was going to be mine one day, talking about this old black Mustang.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't remember because it's it, it wasn't a, a bookmarked moment for Ethan Hawke's character.
1: Yeah, yeah, he yeah Ethan Hawke's character, his dad doesn't remember, and Mason is, is sitting there because that was a moment that changed him, or that was a moment that he's held on to specifically because it was a moment he was looking forward to for a long time. You know, he, he was promised something by his, by his parents that he really thought maybe he was entitled to it, maybe he was expecting it, but, you know, that that might have been the first time in the movie that Mason realizes that his parents aren't exactly how they were when he was when he was younger.
0: I think in that he was just betrayed by memory, I think. I feel like with Ethan Hawke, it's just it was just a passing thing that he said, and yeah, I, th- I think memory served him wrong there. And Plus, what are you going to do with that kind of car at sixteen, man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's very true. But I, I think he's just—he's just, it, a... just yeah—he's—he's he's kind of a dumb kid, even even through high school. Yeah, he's kind of like I said, he's kind of unlikable, but you do follow him. And I feel like if he continues to act, I know he's been in some other stuff, nothing really of note. I know he was in The Circle with Emma Watson, which is apparently awful. Oh, okay, and um, um
1: Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, 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 yeah
0: Patton Oswalt and, and stuff like that. But I feel like he can. Turn into a really great actor if he wants to, and also he looks a lot like Hayden christensen, he does yeah, that's from the Star true. Wars movies, yeah, and they do talk about the prequels a lot, <laughs> yeah. general grievous Ugh.
1: yeah, oh god, they talk I mean there's so many things here that they talk about, um some of the the big things that really stuck out to me. I've got a little list here if you'll indulge me for a second joan uh the Dad's talking from the outside of their mouth style of speaking. Well, that's because this is the greatest thing in the entire (laughs) world. And I remember that's exactly how my dad used to speak to me all the time uh, when he wanted to swear, but he was trying to hold himself back. It's a classic dad thing to do. And having moments in this movie that aren't stereotypical, like first kiss or we don't exactly see the first time that Mason does many stereotypical things as a child but we get moments surrounding that that shape him in in more impactful ways in the future you know he goes and he goes and has a, a beer with some older kids and he's out of the house and he's uh he's had a bit to drink and then all of a sudden he realizes that the people around him aren't really interesting or cool to him and so he goes and finds a totally different crowd after that
0: yeah it's just finding your way yeah type and that's, of thing.
1: that's absolutely perfect and um, there's a, a really nice overarching theme in this movie where we get to follow a kid who realizes that his parents aren't really special. You know, when he's young, especially, he talks. He asks if his parents are getting back together. He asks if, uh, if he can see his dad more often, if he can go and spend more time with his parents because he loves them and he wants to spend as, as much time with them as possible because he's this young kid and that's what he wants. He wants the family to be together.
0: Yeah, he was also shielded by their shortcomings. Obviously, Ethan Hawke was a, an absentee dad in the beginning. Patricia Arquette kind of tries to protect him from his father and being disappointed, but he does learn eventually that his parents are mortal, as, yeah. we, all do, as, we, all do. as
1: we all do. As we all do. And uh, I mean, I'm, I felt the same way when I was 15 years old. And look, to say that I love this movie is an understatement, really. I felt connected to Mason. I felt connected to the world. It felt like you were following a real family, and that's very powerful.
0: And, like we said, the I don't think the 12 year thing is a gimmick. I think it's necessary. I think, well, it's a visual medium filmmaking, and you can clearly see him growing up. And sure, it's an aid, maybe a little bit. Maybe it'll get you a bit more publicity, but it did, but he backed it up. Okay, so,
1: yeah, he backed it up because the movie's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it makes, it makes total sense. And the writing uh, a lot of these movies are coming of age movies, maybe written by middle aged people who think they know how kids speak to one another. Um, but it never really works out quite as well because kids don't necessarily have as many profound understandings and profound realizations in the middle of movies about great things like love and understanding. But Mason and the way that this movie is shot makes it feel much more fluid. Like, he really is learning, but at the same time, he just doesn't care all that much and he wants things to be a certain way. And, yeah, like you said, the the breakup is, is, is crushing.
0: Uh, Richard Linklater, he is one of the most earnest directors that you can really find out there. So if you want to see some of his movies, everyone's probably seen School of Rock. He did oh, yeah. that. Uh, he did Days of Confused, a big high school movie, occult cult film. But if you like a movie like this that's just conversations, I recommend that you watch the Before trilogy, Before Sunrise, Sunset, and Midnight. It's kind of this, kind of a similar style, but it's funny because he shot two of them while he was filming Boyhood. <laughs> and he, he filmed all these movies. He, he is prolific in every sense of the word. He he makes pretty much a movie every year. And plus, he was making Boyhood as well. Yeah, he was he
1: was always coming back to do Boyhood every year as well. And I'm really glad I, I got to see this movie. So I set it off podcast. And I'll say it on podcast. Jared, thank you for letting me watch this movie.
0: No worries. That's what the show's for. You need to discover some things. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that wasn't very profound. But you got to discover some things. Film ineptism. you got to discover some things. Anyway... Yeah. We discovered another movie, Bo. Do you want to introduce that to the cr- uh, crowd, to the to the audience? <laughs> yeah. So for all of you
1: out there listening live inside the <laughs> Film of Nepotism pod right, studios, all right, all right. the next movie we're going to talk about is Sing Street 2016. We need to form a band.
0: <laughs> Connor's doing a band, together. Oh, good Jesus. You'd play every instrument on mankind. Probably. Show him.
1: So Sing Street is directed by John Carney. He is an Irish indie filmmaker. This movie made $13.6 million at the box office on a very, very, very small budget. It made $10 million in the rest of the world outside of the US. Um, Jared, what did you think of Sing Street?
0: Well, usually I like to write notes when I watch these new movies and stuff, but I didn't really do it with this because I was just having too much damn fun. This is a lot... You know, much it's much different from Boyhood in the way it's made, but it's still worthy of the coming-of-age moniker. Yeah, this is a super fun movie. The music, the humor. I was listening to the soundtrack on the way over here. Yeah, Sing Street. It was, <laughs> yeah, like I said, it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of vibe you get out of this movie. You know, the director has experience dealing with musical movies in the past. It really shows here because he's, you know, he's best known for these low-budget musical smash movies they're both uh both of his other movies aside from sing street are critically revered as well uh the music in this movie of course is an amazing backdrop to the action that's going on it takes center stage when it needs to and then it takes a a nice back step in the in the second half of the movie before ramping up again in in the finale and uh you can see that the struggles that the the kids are having and the the parents it's all influenced by music in this movie really nicely
0: before that though i thought i was watching an episode of the in betweeners uh, in the beginning. <laughs> well, you know, that kind of preppy <laughs> yeah, kid. Yeah, it's
1: a bit of slapstick style, preppy well, British comedy. Yeah,
0: and he's also a preppy kid that has to go to a crappier school and he finds these group of misfits and stuff like that. Um, All done by pretty unknown actors, except for in some older roles like Jack Rayners in this and Aidan Gillen from Game of Thrones plays the father.
1: Yeah, the casting in this movie is great actually I thought every one of the child actors does a really good job and you know these movies they don't work if the children acting in the movies aren't very good and they do have problems like that in in TV shows sometimes and in movies sometimes but everyone here from the bullies to the main characters to the main love interest to uh, to everybody around them is all brilliantly acted
0: they also look like kids which I appreciate you see some high school movies where you're like that's a man that's yeah, a 28-year-old that, man. He could be in his thirties. Yeah, like American Pie and stuff like that. But they were—they <laughs> look like kids. I think the only thing that, only negative that I would say, is actually also a positive. I just wanted more of the band. I just wanted more of the band interactions. I think the keyboardist and the drummer probably had maybe three lines between them. Yeah. But I know what the story's about. It's about him and his love story. Yeah, you want to delve into that? You want to s- tell them what the story's actually about?
1: Yeah, let's let's talk about. The love story, Uh, as with all coming-of-age movies, um, aside from the basic idea, it's actually very complex deep down. I think boy tries to impress girl is the, the easiest way to describe this movie. He lies to this pretty girl that he sees across the street, says he's in a band, and that he
0: needs her for a music video. Fair enough. Um, we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: we have all been there, except I don't think I would have ever talked to an older girl when I was uh, when I was his age. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, no, me neither. Never.
1: Maybe in the 80s, I guess. Uh, it works. This movie works in a, in a multitude of ways. It works as a coming-of-age movie. It works as a love story. It works as a believable look at life in the 80s. It works in every way without even needing to mention the music, which is the
0: best part of the movie. Yeah, well, the main character of Cosmo, I think he's very impressionable. Just like, yeah. that's, the, that's, pretty, that's the word of the week. Uh, impressionable with these both of these movies that we're talking about. And I think that that's the most effective type of protagonist for a coming-of-age film. You know, he idolizes his brother and he's also, you know, takes inspiration from pretty much any song that's pushed under his nose and, you know, you see him go under some pretty interesting wardrobe changes. <laughs> yeah, so, some yeah. of the
1: best moments in this movie are when they're, they're changing wardrobes or where he changes his hair because uh, his girlfriend, the girl that he's lusting after says that she likes his hair a certain way so he's going to change and then he's wearing a long cape and then he puts nail polish on or eyeliner and he comes back with scarves and the hair
0: dye yeah when exactly. he gets when he that's gets blonde, blonde hair dye yeah yeah i had a, I had i had a friend that did that <laughs> <laughs> you know he doesn't listen to the show but no that's good Will. um but speaking of jack rayner i'm gonna i thought he was gonna be a ghost uh well i thought he was gonna be a ghost like he never goes anywhere but, no, And he's like a kind of guru. I thought we were going to get some Paul Bettany and um, what's that movie with uh, Russell Crowe? Uh, Beautiful Mind. Beautiful <laughs> oh, Mind. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be like that, but I'm like, oh idiot! He talked to the parents of the daughter. They're not all crazy, surely.
1: Yeah, no, not everybody's in on this act. I think the the older brother is is definitely my favorite character in this movie. You know, he does a really great job of being the um, the, the guru. Yeah, the guru. The guru. Yeah, he he's the he's the the north facing star for for Cosmo. Sure. In this
0: movie. Sure. Yeah.
1: Let's talk a little more about the the female love interest in this movie, Jared. You um you really liked her, from what I can tell. From what you've uh, from what you were telling me before the podcast.
0: Oh, well, it's more like she how she represents. She's obviously a very great actress that played her, but she represents a a classic, um, trope. Yeah. In coming True. of age, and that's the unrequited love kind of. Um, how did I? Yeah. Object of affection kind of thing and we're going to talk about more later about that when yeah. we do our little little wrap-up type thing and there's the, the movie is pretty tropey i'll say that like with the parents getting the divorce and the kid going to a new school and meeting a bunch of misfits but the characters are so wide-eyed and likable you know and the music is so fun that you don't really care and the, and I, I don't think the movie suffers from being tropey no
1: i i agree it definitely doesn't and there you know there's tropes escaping a low socioeconomic life by way of art is a very um, is a very tropey thing as well you know using music to escape your troubles and your bad life that's a very tropey thing but it works really well in this movie because they don't harp on it
0: when i was first watching this movie i didn't think it was going to be a coming of age i thought it was just like a straight high school comedy kind of thing and it was getting going along at a really fast pace but once around the half halfway point hits, it gets into some deeper stuff with him and the, the romance and the bandmates kind of thing kind of goes to the wayside. Like, the characters, I thought the the manager, <laughs> or the little ginger kid that was yeah. the manager, I thought he would be in it more, but he wasn't. The, the movie's about the romance and stuff like that, which is fine.
1: Yeah, no, I think it, it works really well. And some of the, the simple scenes in this movie are ones that evoke the, the biggest laughs or the, the biggest smiles for me as well. When they turn up in their ridiculous costumes that they've stolen or borrowed from their parents for the music video, that's great. And she walks up and she's like, "Oh no, what are you wearing?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've had that before. Like I used to be a film student, and um, the bands would rock up and be like, oh, what?"
1: <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And that, that's the kind of thing that makes this this movie so great. Is because just those those moments that you don't think are important to the overall story, they just they evoke really good strong, happy emotions out of you that really keep the movie going at a very quick pace.
0: Yeah, there were just some really dry moments that were great. Like, oh, I just like rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> I just love them.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And my, uh, I mean, my favorite uh, favorite quote of the whole movie is that no woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins, and that's his, uh, his older brother talking to him.
0: True. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's true. I believe it. I agree.
1: All right, Jerry. Well, I think we've um, we've reached the part of the show now where we where we do a bit of contrasting and chat about some of the similarities and some of the the reasons why we've picked these two movies. And I know there's a there's a, a bigger theme here that you want to hit on specifically.
0: No, we just want to get into what are some common tropes and what's what are some do's and don'ts for coming of age movies. I feel like after this chat, we could write one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well,
1: I think we. I feel like together we might have gone through enough uh, childhood experiences to do a good coming-of-age movie.
0: Yeah, one or two. Um, So we talked about this before, the object of affection trope. It's very common in coming-of-age stories where an impressionable young fella or lady falls in love with a beautiful, usually older and usually damaged character like, let's say, Kate Hudson in Almost Famous and... Mm. Uh, Zoe Kravitz from Dope, which came out a couple years ago. She's not really a love interest, but she's that kind of propped-up mystic, like, oh, yeah. you know, and um, also Jake Ryan in Sixteen Candles <laughs> as well. <laughs> but,
1: there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of these movies, coming-of-age movies, that sort of lord uh, a woman as sort of almost this higher mythical entity for the main character, the object of affection. Uh, sometimes you see these women doing not unbelievable things, but things that just seem so um out of out of place because they're so whimsical in these movies.
0: They're usually the object of the protagonist's affection and I guess we are we are seeing the movie through their eyes, so mm but they usually do have a lot of problems. Um, also, I feel like most of the time they don't really deserve the affection of the, pro- the protagonist. Yeah, like when' very true. Jake Ryan doesn't even know who Molly Ringwald is, and he's just like, <laughs> oh, she likes me, bro? Hell yeah, yourself. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll give it
1: a go. <laughs> Some spoilers for a movie we're not talking about on this podcast.
0: Oh, well, come on, everyone's seen that. Um, yeah, that's true. And it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. There's Jonah Hill's movie, Mid-90s, coming out, and I saw the trailer, and it looks like there's the object of affection, older lady you know, that'll probably lead him on, (laughs) that he probably won't end up with. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad trope, since our characters, our young characters, need to experience disappointment, and they need to learn from their mistakes and come out the other side older and wiser, and love is one of the easiest things to grasp for an audience. So we've all been there, you know? Unrequited
1: love. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's done really well in Sing Street.
0: Now let's go through some other things, some smaller tropes that we always seem to find in these coming-of-age movies. So it needs to be in school, obviously.
1: Yeah, That's check course. one. It's got to um, be in a school.
0: Well, he has to be at school. I don't think high school is n- necessary for the main setting, but it definitely helps. Formative years are essential. That's a big one, okay? Yeah. Yeah, write that down.
1: All right, I got it down.
0: Yeah, there also needs to be a big event that the characters look forward to, like prom or house party. Very yep. important. That's a good one. We need something to look forward to. Yeah, everyone's
1: um, got to look forward to something.
0: Yeah, Daisy Confused has that party... Uh, American Pie has prom. Yeah, every
1: pro- every high school movie has yeah Thanksgiving or prom or end of year or graduation to look yeah, forward to. Yeah,
0: something that they're working towards, and usually they're disappointed by the by this <laughs> by this event. But anyway, so there needs to be an adult antagonist as well. Very important. because yep. it, it needs to represent the man. You know, mm. really fight against the man. So I'm looking at the principal from Ferris Bueller. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and the and the pastor in Sing Street. As well, yeah. That's um, a good one. He was he was a pretty good antagonist actually. He was really good. And this is a big one. I think the ending needs to be ambiguous.
1: Yeah, you don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, most most endings generally lean positive, but there's always a, a, a lingering idea that not everything's going to go just as you expect.
0: When you're graduating high school, your life could go over here, it could go over there, it could mm. go in any different direction. So I feel like ambiguity is the best. So no sequels, Bodhi. No sequels. I'm looking at you, American Pie. Ferris Bueller? No. No. A Super Bowl commercial doesn't count as, <laughs> as a sequel. As a sequel, no. Um, and I feel like the ambiguity, we, we need it because even at the end of Sing Street, it's probably not going to work out when they go to England together in that boat. They're probably no. going to be homeless or something like that. Yeah. They're, they're just dumb kids. They they don't know what they're doing. And you know, like we said, he doesn't really know this character that well.
1: No, he likes her. She's pretty.
0: Yeah, he saw that she, that she was pretty, and he went after her. And she's, you know, a little bit damaged. So he's like, "Oh, I'll look after you." You know, it's yeah, yeah. I was surprised that they ended up together, to be honest. Hmm. I feel like Sing Street is kind of like a half coming of age movie, like because I don't think we really see his see the ending.
1: <laughs> no, not quite. But he does perform a great song at the prom, and thus everything worked is out I guess. for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, he didn't really experience much disappointment you know that moment where he's like oh no and then he's out into the wide world
1: no that's true but I do think the movie starts a little bit like that you know he is sort of he begins at a lower rung to the general sort of ambiguous beginning of most coming of age movies
0: but you know what movie doesn't have a lot of these tropes Bodie? boyhood correct correct and I feel like it's the best of the genre and it doesn't have all of these so was the last 10 minutes of what I was just talking about worthless
1: I don't think that it's worthless, and there's a reason why these ideas are in so many movies, and it's because they work and they're relatable. But the reason that boyhood is so relatable to us, where it may not be for another, is that we're the same age as Mason. Mm. We grew up in the same era as Mason. We understand Mason. We understand Motorola Razr flip phones as kids, we understand Dragon Ball Z bedsheets. We understand book launches and video games and wanting to uh, wanting to stay out late and not do your schoolwork and just do what you're passionate about and say, screw everybody that doesn't let you do
0: what you want to do. But Boyhood, it it gets that idea and it wheels it down to to the bare minimum. Yeah, the
1: absolute bare bones. But then
0: it multiplies it by a lot to make a three-hour movie.
1: <laughs> yes, yes it does. Two hours, 50 minutes or something like that.
0: Yeah, but it flies by. I've seen the movie maybe four times. Hmm. I, I, I love it every time. I had Tear Up at the end every time. I don't yeah. think you'll cry six times next time you see it. But.
1: Maybe not. Maybe just once or twice. But the, I think the ending for Boyhood is a little bit ambiguous.
0: Oh, most definitely. Most and I definitely. think that's, that's
1: where its biggest uh, trope comes in. And whereas Sing Street, it, it does follow tropes, but the tropes are done in such a really charming and wonderful way with the backdrop of great music. That you don't mind them, no. and, and you you, no. you 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 actually you enjoy it maybe even more because of that.
0: Yeah, it, it's a very. I just feel like you know I'm in the mood for some Sing Street. I'm going to pop that in. Yeah, yeah, like a like a movie. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It doesn't depress you, um, mm-hmm. but it also leaves you thoughtful as well. And being the right age as Mason, I think there is some to that because, like I said, there's the before trilogy where Ethan Hawke meets this girl on a train, and in 1995, and they meet and whatever, and then they. They, then the next movie's eight years later, or nine years, and then the next movie's another nine years later. So different generations, and obviously I uh, associate myself more with the one that came out in 95 when Ethan Hawke was my age. So, yeah. And who knows, in 20 years, maybe I'll like the the third one.
1: Who knows? That's very true. And I think that a lot of the reason why these movies work so well is because generally the, the tropes that they're using and generally the reasons that they're they have all of this stuff in these movies is because at some point you're going to be able to identify with a character in these movies. Maybe in 15 or 20 years time, we might really identify more with, uh, the teacher in boyhood
0: or the, his parents in Sing street. Exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe I'm going to want to have an affair. I'm not sure about that, Jared. Maybe,
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll, ident- maybe, uh, I mean, uh, I already do, I guess, identify as the older brother in, in Sing street in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah, and I think that as long as these movies remain strong in their ability to have identifiable and complex characters, they're always going to be popular.
0: Yeah, I also feel like coming-of-age movies work as time machines a little bit. Yeah, they do, definitely. Like, for example, Stand By Me, um, it's very aware of its surroundings and what time period it's in and i feel like if you're from the 50s, you'll watch that and be like, yeah, just like we were watching through boyhood like, oh, coldplay.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, remember coldplay and lady gaga and
0: Yeah, oops, i did it again. <laughs> oh, exactly.
1: Exactly. Uh, and halo 1. Yes, split halo screen. 1. Oh.
0: Yeah, there were just so many oh, oh moments. Mm. Yeah. I'm a slave to those.
1: Yeah, I mean, me too. I mean after I mean I I want to go
0: and watch Boyhood again. Okay. Well, we can do that. We can wrap up now if you want. <laughs>
1: I think we we pretty much exhausted everything that we want to talk about. Um overall, Jared, would you say you loved Sing Street as much as you were expecting?
0: Yeah, I think I, I think I expected a solid coming-of-age film with some really good music and I and I got that. I would definitely recommend people going and seeing it. I thought it was on Stan. I, I went to watch it this morning, it's not on stand anymore. Um It is on Netflix though. Is it? Yeah. I son of a <laughs> I didn't know that. Damn it, that would have saved me a lot of trouble. Oh, goddammit, Bodie. God damn it.
1: I'm sorry about that, Jared. But anyway, that's about all time we've got for today. Guys, thank you very much for listening to the Film and Nepotism Podcast. Jared, why don't you tell our fans where they can find us?
0: Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud iTunes film Google Podcast nepotism. yeah Film and Nepotism everywhere on the internet you use the internet right Bodhi yes I then, do then you can listen to the Film and Nepotism podcast you know next time next episode it's our Halloween episode and I'm really excited about that especially because you are a scaredy cat
1: I am a scaredy cat and look we're going to save all the scaredy catness for next week I might have come in and cried six times next week as well
0: hey Bodie. yes Joe
1: ah